The scripture for today is Romans 4, 13 through 25. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, the faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this depends on the faith in order that the promise may rest on the grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of, all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God who, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations according to what was said. So numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken when he considered his own body, which is already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's room. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew his but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore his faith was reckoned to him in righteousness as righteousness. Now the words it was reckoned to him were written not for his sake alone, but also for ours, but ours but for ours also. It will be reckoned with us to whom to who believe in him and who raised him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Amen. I promise. I promise I'll do it. I promise. I promise I won't forget. I promise I'll call you. I promise I'll visit you. I promise that I will do it later. I promise. Have you ever said those words? You ever said, I promise. I, I really promise I'll do it. How many times have we promised something like that and then completely the next second forgot all about it? Anybody? Anybody have that happen? You, you promised. You said you were going to do it. You promised, and then immediately after you promised, it just kind of went right out of your mind, and you completely forgot. I'm pretty sure that if we were to tally up all the promises that we've made versus all the promises that we've kept, we would feel great shame. Simply because... So often we make promises too lightly. We simply utter the words, I promise, without really understanding the depth of what we are committing ourselves to. We're basically saying that we will follow through with what we have said we would do. We're saying that we are going to accomplish it and we are giving somebody else our word that it's going to happen. Why can't we keep our promises? Why is it so hard to keep promises? Well, for one thing, I think we make too many of them. Sometimes we promise to be at two places at one time, and you're going to break at least one of those two promises. Sometimes we promise that we're going to do something that is really something we're not ready or able to do. Sure, I'm going to make it across town in 10 minutes and be at your house. No, you're not. This is Atlanta. You can't promise that because you can't do it. 
So I think a lot of times one of the reasons that we can't keep our promises is because we commit ourselves through our words to things that we can't actually accomplish, can't actually do. And so the minute we utter the promise, we've already broken it because we can't fulfill it on our own. Our scripture today, though, talks about the promise, capital T, capital P. The promise that God made to Abraham and his descendants. You see, unlike us, God is not only able to make many promises, he's able to keep all his promises. I want to repeat that. He's able to keep all his promises. There's not a promise that God has made that he is unable to keep. And if you look at scripture, you find that God has made us a lot of promises. Scripture is full of promises for the people of God. And it makes sense that God will keep all of his promises because scripture tells us that God is truth. God cannot lie because he is truth. And therefore, if God says it, he's going to do it. You can take that to the bank Monday through Monday, every single day of the week, 24 days, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for the rest of eternity. If God says it, he will do it. So the scripture tells us in Romans that Abraham received the promise for him and his descendants. And you would wonder, what did Abraham do? What was it that Abraham did that made him worthy of such an incredible promise? I mean, how many of us would not want to receive a promise like this? I am going to make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand on the beach. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Through you, salvation is going to come for the whole world. Oh, that's a pretty good promise. Who wouldn't want that? What did Abraham do to deserve God's favor? Romans argues he did absolutely nothing. He did nothing. God chose him, gave him a promise, and the only thing that Abraham did was believe that God could do it. That was it. There was no law. It hadn't been given yet. There was no set of behaviors that was expressed to Abraham before he received the promise. There was no set of requirements that he needed to fulfill before he qualified to be the father of many nations. There was none of that. God chose him and gave him a promise. And Paul argues in Romans that Abraham and his descendants received that promise not through anything they did, but through the fact that they continued to believe in God and their belief in God was attributed to them as righteousness. What exactly does that mean? It means that when God promised him the impossible, he looked at who was promising these things and he said, I believe it. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know how you're going to pull it off. I believe it. 
So think about it. If someone came up to you and promised you something that seems very far-fetched, you would have two choices. Really three, but two mainly. You would either believe them or not believe them. And most of us would laugh if it was too crazy. But we would probably have to choose between belief and unbelief. Do you believe that they will make good on their promise? Do you believe that they can do what they're saying they will do? So who makes the promise matters. If somebody who doesn't own a motorcycle tells me they're going to give me a ride in a motorcycle, I would question that. Now, if Colin said, I'm going to, I'm going to fly you somewhere, I might believe that. He's a pilot. See? But if, if the person promising you something does not show any evidence of being able to do it, most of us would go, ah, I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think I can believe you. If you promise me dinner and you don't have any food to eat, how can you give me food? If you don't have a car and you promise me a ride, I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I mean, I like piggyback rides, but I don't think that's going to work. You see, somebody has to be able to do what they're saying they're going to do. And a lot of times when we want to decide if we're going to believe somebody who's promising us something, what we do is we look at two factors. Number one, are they able to do it? Is it within their power? Is it within their reach to grant what they're promising? And the second one is we look at past experience. What have they done in the past? And we use that as evidence to make a decision of whether they'll do it in the future. We use that kind of method of deciphering through promises uh, when, we're, when we're trying to decide who is telling us a true promise. We use it in investing, in business, in advertising, in healthcare, in just about every area of life. That's how we evaluate a promise. So if you have promised your doctor time and time again that you're going to lose weight and you haven't done it the last 12 visits, he's not going to believe you the 13th. He's going to be like, no, I've heard this before. You're not going to do it. We're going to do something else. If your broker tells you, I am really going to return the best results this year, but I've lost you money the last five, you probably won't believe them. You see, we use that past experience. Here's the problem. Abraham had no past experience with God. God called him out of the land of his fathers to a foreign place. And then when he got there, he gave him this incredible promise. And Abraham had nothing to go on. Which begs the question, why did he believe God? Why? Why did he turn to faith instead of doubt? Because he really didn't have anything to go on. When God promised him that he would give him a, a promised land, he had no land of his own. He was journeying by stages. He had no place to call his own. When God promised him he would have many descendants, he was nearly 100 years old his wife was 90, and they had had no children. He had no evidence 
that God was going to do this. In fact, the scripture tells us that when God promised him he was going to have a child, he looked at his body and he said, are you sure about this? I'm almost dead. I'm as good as, I'm a hundred years old. And have you seen my wife? She's 90 and has never had a child. Are you sure about this? Is this really what you're promising? You have to understand that this was so out there that it was an impossibility for man. Nobody could do this but God. No one could pull this off but God. I was reading commentators say that Sarah had probably been through her menopause. She had already had all her hot flashes and she was already cooled down. I mean, this was way past late. There was no longer anything in her body that spoke of life. Everything in her body said, we're on the way out, not on the way in. You, can you imagine that? You're thinking... Next step is the grave. And God says, oh, you're just about to have a child. Right now, you're about to have a child. And you're 90, never had one. That is something else. That promise is something else. And it might sound like an exaggeration that they thought they were as good as dead, but they really were up there. I mean, when, when Abraham has to look at his own body and go, are you sure about this? You know. He wasn't feeling up to the task either. Have you tried to follow a, a one-year-old at 100? I mean, your back must kill you. But yet, this was the promise that God had made. And the scripture says that it was such an incredible promise that when Sarah heard it, she just laughed. She just she just broke out laughing. She couldn't help it. She just couldn't help it. Sometimes we're harsh on her for laughing, but come on, I'm 90. She laughed because it was so out there. And for everybody around them, it would have been an impossibility. She was barren as far as they were concerned. It was impossible. You see, God tends to specialize in impossible. He does what no one else can do, and therefore he can promise to do what no one else can do. God had to set the stage for the miracle that was about to happen. Now, I want you, I want you to understand, if God had chosen two 20-year-olds and told them they were going to have a baby, they would have gotten busy, would have had a baby, and it would have been like, yeah, we did that. You get a 90 and 100-year-old to have a baby, you go, God did that. They were there, but it was all God because he had to make it happen. He had to bring life into bodies that no longer had the capability on their own to produce life. And therefore, guess who gets the credit? God gets the credit. They couldn't say we did that. So the promise came to them because of faith and as a gift of grace. 
God chose them not because they did something to deserve it, but because God's divine election chose them to be the bearers and the recipients of a promise that would span generations and would affect the world forever because through Abraham's descendants would come Jesus Christ. If you don't have Isaac, if you don't have that first baby out of Abraham and Sarah, you don't get Jesus. He comes through that whole lineage and that promise. And I think Paul is very generous with Abraham when he says that Abraham did not waver concerning the faith. Because if you read Abraham's stories, you know that he had good days and he had bad days. He had days in, he, in which he made great decisions and then days in which he freaked out and made bad choices. When he pretended his wife was his sister because he was afraid of Pharaoh. When he took on his slave girl instead of waiting for the promise. He made some bad choices along the way. But Paul is pointing out that at the end of the day, Abraham was able to continue to believe that the promise of God would be fulfilled even though he had not yet seen it. Even though it took years for that baby to come. Paul says that this is the faith that was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. It is always right to trust in God. It is always the right decision to put your life in his hands. It's always right to bring him your concerns and your cares in prayer because he cares about you and he loves you. It really was a hope against hope, a conviction through faith, and he had to believe where he had not yet seen that God would do it. I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you that so many times we don't see the answer to our prayers at the moment. And yet we're invited to continue to pray those prayers. We're invited to continue to persevere in our faith. We're invited to continue to believe that the promises of God are still unfolding in our lives and that God is not through with us yet. And that to me is encouraging because even though Abraham was not blameless, even though he had his mess-ups along the way, even though he didn't do everything perfectly as God might have wanted, he continued to trust God. And that was what God used to fulfill the promise. This is just utterly important to us. Because we live in a world and in a time in which Working and earning your way and deserving things is the way things are, right? You got to earn it. You got to work for it. It's what I do that makes me valuable. It's what I offer that makes me acceptable. Works righteousness is part of our society. You work it. You deserve it. You earn it. It's yours. But God's promises are not earned it's not something that you can work to deserve. It's not merit-based. It is really based on God's love for us. Before we knew Jesus, while we were yet sinners, Jesus went to the cross 
for us. Before we ever did one single thing to accept his grace, Jesus spilled his blood for us on the cross. Before we get, gave a single dollar to the church, before we attended a single committee meeting, before we volunteered a single hour, Jesus gave everything on the cross for us. So you can't earn it. God loved us before we could love him. And God loves us not because of what we do, but because of who we are. Because we are his creation and his children. Because we are his beloved. I want to tell you that God loves you. And Jesus loves you. Despite knowing everything about you, he loves you. Despite knowing all the promises that you have broken, he loves you. Despite knowing all the times that you have fallen flat on your face, he loves you. And he is inviting you into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ every day. Scripture tells us that he raised him from the dead for our trespasses. And through his sacrifice, he justified us. He made us right with God. There's no other way to accomplish that. You can't do enough good deeds to make your way into heaven. You can't give enough money to buy a ticket in. The only way to enter what God has promised us is by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, trusting that he has already paid the price and that all God's promises are true for us. I want you to think about every promise that you have heard about in Scripture. Just recall them to memory for a moment. I will never leave or forsake you. Ask and I will answer. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Seek and you will find. I will be your God and you will be my people. How many scriptures can you recall that give you a wonderful promise of God that is still true? In your life. Abraham learned that he didn't know how. He didn't know when. But God will fulfill everything that he had told him. Everything. Not some of it. Not most of it. Everything that he had promised. And if you look at scripture, it is full of promises of God for us. For you. For me and for all those who will trust in him. This is all product of God's grace. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. But God's love has made it available through grace. Remember that we serve a God who keeps every one of his promises. You can trust him with your life and every single aspect of it because he loves you. So today, as the altar is going to be open, I just want you to remember God's promises. I want to invite you to claim them for yourself, for your family, for your children, for your children's children. I want to invite you to believe in them 
even where you have not yet seen them come true. And I want you to remember that God always comes through, no matter how long it's been since you started praying. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this word. I thank you for Sarah and Abraham and for their willingness to believe in you even when it seemed impossible. Help us, O oh Lord, to believe in the same way in our own lives, that even when we don't see things happening yet, that we will know that you are working, that you are moving, that you are delivering us, that you are helping us, that you are saving us every single day. Lord, on this day, help us to remember your promises and help us to believe in them as we believe in you. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is open. If you want to pray by yourself, you can come to the green markers. If you want us to pray with you, you can come anywhere else in the altar, and we'll be glad to pray with you.